Hello and welcome to Driven Creatively Mad, where I interview creators who aspire to earn a living from their art. I'm your host, Chris Black, and on this episode, I'm speaking with Bob Wirtz. Bob is the Associate Director of Visual Branding at the University of South Carolina. My earliest memory of meeting Bob was actually on Twitter way back in 2007. Bob was the first person I followed, most likely on any social media platform. Fast forward to today, and Bob and I have hung out personally and professionally within our local design community. For years, Bob served as a board member and president of our local AIGA South Carolina chapter. We started a morning meetup with local designers and illustrators and have continued to meet virtually over the last year during the COVID-19 pandemic. We also share a lot of similar interests, including Marvel Comics and movies, the Apple ecosystem of devices and apps, and a love for design. Bob labels himself as a designer, blogger, grad student, college instructor, husband, and dad. He's obsessed with typography, the creative process, and the tools we use to create. So how does he balance his time between a family of five, work, grad school, and personal design projects? Let's get to that interview and find out. Hey, Bob, how you doing? Doing pretty good. How you doing, Chris? Good. So why don't you tell our listeners what kind of creator you consider yourself? I guess I consider myself a designer. I Like a, gra- a graphic designer. I'm just going to go with designer. Designer, okay. I, I work with, I'm pretty much a creative director in my day job. And, and I design lots of things there, but I also design type and kind of other projects too. So I'll just go with designer. Okay. All right. So full disclosure, you and I know each other. We've known each other for quite some time and I don't, I honestly don't know how long I've known you. I know we've been having <laughs> coffee together for five years, so it, it it's longer than five years, but I know we've been having coffee once a month for about five years. So how did you get interested in design? When I was in high school, I really wanted to be an architect. I don't know why that was just the thing I wanted to be. And decided at some point that I didn't like math. And when I decided I didn't like math, that kind of threw architecture out the window and I got involved with like journalism. But the thing okay. I loved about journalism, like the the high school journalism thing was designing the publications. And I didn't really understand that was a career. I just mm. I went to journalism school to be a designer basically without knowing knowing that design was a career. I'm old. So it was a while ago and <laughs> computers were the switch had just started to be made from hand skills to computers. And so I was very good with a computer. And so people wanted to go ahead and have me design things because I was comfortable with it. And I just became a designer pretty much accidentally. Yeah. What's funny is I didn't know about you that you wanted to be an architect and I was in the same boat coming out of high school. I like had a huge fascination with Frank Lloyd Wright. I think anybody that's an architect did at some point. Yep, absolutely. But but I didn't like math either. I think it's interesting that you and I share that. I thought I'll do landscape architecture because there's less math than that. That's just plants and <laughs> urban design, sidewalks. That's all I knew about landscape architecture was plants and sidewalks and trees. I went through a semester of it and it wasn't for me, but I got into computer stuff then, but so I fell into design coming out of a love for architecture. 
Well, and I loved photography as well. And when I was in school, I was in the darkroom mm. a lot. Mm -hmm. I tried to be a photojournalism major briefly, and then they got rid of the major. But that was the tension, which was me trying. And there were all these visual careers that I was interested in, but I couldn't quite figure out what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until after I had graduated and got my first job as a designer that I really figured out that was what I wanted to do. So what was that first job? So my first job out of school, I was an art director for Continental American Insurance Group, which was eventually purchased by Aflac here in town. It was basically, uh, I was doing employee benefits communications. So uh, we did work for large companies and their benefits information. It wasn't the most exciting design work, but I knew I was in the right spot after I had worked yeah. there for a little while. So you've been essentially a, you started out as a graphic designer. And one thing I know about you, you're really into type. When yes. did your, when did your love for type start to evolve? So I think my love for type really started in college. We had, I was working with publications and different organizations and I had access to computers with typefaces and just got into that. And it was in high school or it was in college that I really first, I played with Fontographer, which was Macromedia's font design software. And I really kind of loved the idea of being a type designer. It was something that I really thought was fascinating and interesting but it was something I didn't really have as much time to play with until much later, but I always loved type. I think I also, because I came to design so sideways, I think I realized pretty early on that the designers that I admired, what set them apart was really incredible use of type. And I figured out that I really needed to understand how to use type if I wanted to be the kind of designer that I wanted to be. So you have a, a primary job currently that you spend, like most people, you spend eight hours a day, roughly, at your primary job. You're also getting your master's. Yes. <laughs> and you also do type on the side. Yes. <laughs> so how do you like, how do you juggle your time? Oh, and I don't know if we've mentioned this yet. We, I think we talked about it before I hit record, but you have a family, three kids, <laughs> three kids, <laughs> primary job, getting your master's, you make your own type on the side and your family. How do you handle managing your time and making sure that you, you get your creativity in? It's definitely a challenge. My, my kids range in age from high school to elementary school and they have their own busy schedules. And my wife is a teacher and she has her busy schedules and yeah. taking classes and occasionally teaching classes and working. And we just make it work. We've always tried to figure out a balance where everyone gets the time they need to do the things they want to do. My wife at times has taken um, guitar lessons and carving out time in the evenings to work. I think when I was younger, the answer to this question would probably have been, I don't sleep. I fell into the category of if I cheat two hours of sleep a day, that's 14 extra hours a, a week. And 
as I've gotten older, I've realized how not intelligent that is because <laughs> I need my sleep. And yeah. so I've really become really focused about how I structure my time. I'll look for opportunities to maximize work time. It was a little easier before coronavirus and the quarantine that we're in the middle of now, but I would take my daughter to lacrosse practice and then go spend some time at a coffee shop and just take that hour and a half to just write or work or work on a typeface or something. And I've just, I've gotten pretty good about maximizing those little pockets of time to get the most out of it. Do you, do you find when you go to a, another location that's not your home, like a coffee shop, do you find it's easier to get into the mode of, I'm here to do this task, whatever that task may be, design and type, or if you're studying for school, you find it easier to get into that mode in a different location? I do. I was actually talking to my wife about this yesterday because semester is starting back up and I have a class that I'm taking. And normally uh, I had this routine of uh, Friday night after we would have dinner with the family, I would just head to Starbucks near our, there's a Starbucks near our house Mm -hmm. and I would just study and Friday night, that would be my routine. And then that would get me in a place where I could enjoy Saturday and Sunday. And, and so I had that rhythm and now that I'm home, it's a lot harder to find that focus. Yeah. And it's not bad things. Ryan wants me to read him a Star Wars book. Ryan's my eight-year-old. And I, I will put down the journal article that I'm reading for class and read about Star Wars. Sounds yeah. fun. To, yeah, it's, it's fun. And that those distractions are a little harder to put away. <laughs> I think uh, for me, part of the challenge with with us and coronavirus is that we've all been home. And so there are five of us in a house that's not very large and we've all kind of had to, we've all had to carve out our little corners. And so my corner is unfortunately in my bedroom and it's the best place for me to have my desk set up the way I need it to be. But it means that I don't get those changes of location like I used to. And that's been tough. That's That's been a change. I, I do look forward to the day where it's safe to go back to a coffee shop and work for a little bit or to find uh, find another cue, like creative cue that can yeah. help me get into a mental state of being ready to create. I, th- I think that's important when uh, you're transitioning from home life to work life or creative life is to have those cues or maybe habits that you've set up. Is there anything in particular that you do to get you in the mood to create like certain habits you might go through? Not really. I think part of my, part of my focus on trying to maximize my time is I try to go in with a plan. So I don't just say, Oh, I'm going to go to the coffee shop and I'm going to do something creative. I go to the coffee shop and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to finish this section of the alphabet tonight, or I'm going to, I'm going to write, you know, a blog post tonight. And having that like clear goal gives me something to focus on right when I get there. And so even if it takes me a little while to get going, I at least have a focus on what I'm trying to do. I think in the past I've tried to just show up somewhere and be creative. And without a plan, I just end up surfing social media. (laughs) 
Yeah, I've I've got like the thing that gets me into a creative state is the most uncreative thing I could do, which is check my email. I need to check a couple of news sites I, I like to look at. I don't really use RSS anymore to pull things in. And then I have to go look at a couple of videos on YouTube, not specific videos, just I like to watch a couple of things. And that it, it's a terrible, it's a habit. It's a really bad <laughs> habit that I have, but it's, I just want to do these things to get them out of the way. And, you, and then I can just start creating. Have you read James Clear's Atomic Habits? I read about half of it. Okay. And lost the habit of reading. <laughs> <laughs> Mutual friend and former coffee buddy, Will, recommended it. And I don't know that I took a whole lot from the book, but one thing that I did was this idea that your habits prime you for the things you want to do. Yeah. And so one of those things is having a habit or having a routine. And for me, it was going to the coffee shop on Friday nights, right? That was a, yeah. and that's going to be studying. And I just knew we cook dinner, we'd have dinner as a family, and then I'd go stay until they closed. And that was my rhythm. And But getting into that rhythm, finding that rhythm helps reinforce the rhythm. Mm -hmm. um, and so that worked for me until I couldn't go to the coffee shops anymore. Yeah, I've, I did create a really good habit over the last few years of working out. When we had to go into a, a quarantine, and couldn't go to the gym. I had to figure out how to change that habit of working out at home. But it, it was weird because it was such a, a need that I had to work out that it was easy to transition to a different way of doing it, a different time of day. So yeah, I guess I just need to quit watching videos in the morning. <laughs> Maybe I put a list on the, on my desk before I come in the day before of, Hey, do these things when you get in in the morning instead of just sitting down and flipping on YouTube. I think for me, one of the things that one of the things I've missed is I was in a really good rhythm of walking at lunch and yeah. I'd listen to podcasts and it was just, that was my unplugged time was, you know, the middle of the work day, I'd get up and I put in my AirPods and I'd just go for a walk in downtown Columbia and it was great. And I find like when, now that I'm working from home, I need to still do that. I need to just go walk around the neighborhood. Yeah. But I haven't. It's just a different cue and I just haven't triggered. I, I need to change my patterns to make sure I'm still getting that time to unplug. You and I are both really big into the Apple ecosystem. Do you have any particular tools that you use to help with these habits? Not really. I use, I'm one of those people who experiments a lot with apps to try to keep me, keep me organized. I know yeah. you are too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's not a good habit to have. It can be its own rabbit hole. And so I have a bunch of apps that I have downloaded and services that I use right now. It's notion. I use notion a lot mm -hmm. and I have, have a laptop and an iPad uh, and I switch between them based on what mode I need to be in. And I've settled into a rhythm where it works for me, but I'm not, I don't hesitate to change it. So when I find yeah. something new, I'm happy to try to mix that in and see if I can make it work. And for the most part, I usually Ulysses for writing, which drives people crazy in grad school because they don't understand what you're doing. What do you, um, wait, what do you mean? Like um, unpack that a little bit. So 
in grad school, everyone expects that you're writing in Microsoft Word or Google Docs. Oh. Yeah. And so having a writing environment that is basically a black screen with white letters on it and nothing else, <laughs> like, like they look at it and they're just baffled. And, and like it works how can really- you write in something so simple? So simple. Right. And my thing is I, I don't want to write in something that's more complex. Yeah. But there are reasons. So I use a, a whole system called Zotero that keeps track of references and builds bibliographies for me and that kind of thing. And that has really good interactions with Google Docs and Microsoft Word. And as I, as I write longer things, I have to switch over. But for most of my stuff, I write it. I, I try to write things in Ulysses. Yeah. But I just try to find apps that work for me and work for the way I think. And I don't hesitate to pay for an app if it's going to make my life easier. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think as creators start to get better with their art or they start growing, I think it's natural to try out new tools. We can actually talk about one of your favorite pastimes in just a minute. Yeah, (laughs) pens, collecting pens. But it's great to try new things. I've gone back to taking notes on paper. Yeah, I just hate keeping up with like paper notebooks. I get it. I get it. But <laughs> I also have nice pens to write with. I realized that I was trying to take notes and I, I didn't like taking notes on the computer in my classes and things. Yeah. And I started buying some notebooks and then I have fountain pens that I'm writing with and got to a rhythm where that works for me. But sometimes it's hard to realize, at least for me, that the analog solution is is better because I want to try to digitize everything. Yeah. And sometimes that analog solution is what's right for me. Yeah. Recently, I, I decided to switch some sketching over. <laughs> it sounds weird to say it this way. I'm switching it over to paper and a, a real pencil. I was having a hard time. and I, I needed to do, to do a lot of sketches on paper, or I just needed to do a lot of um, thumbnailing for some page layouts. And when you're doing that on the iPad, you can't spread your ideas out on a table so that you can see like the different ones that you've done. Like if you're drawing on the iPad, like you can do different layers or you can create another document, but switching documents in these drawing apps, there's a huge delay and you can't like easily flip back and forth. And I tried just using regular notebooks on the iPad that you use for like note taking to draw, but like the drawing tools in there are, are not as great, but I have been experimenting with analog stuff. Have you ever like experienced burnout with your art and your design? Absolutely. Like, have you ever wanted to quit? Absolutely. One of the things that I think is good about the way I came into design as not being an art school kid, but being more of a journalism advertising strategy kind of thing, I really have a lot of different backgrounds and things. And so I've always kind of felt maybe I should have done something else or maybe I could go do something else. Yeah. And so when I'm frustrated with being a creative, it's easy to think I could have very easily have done this or I could still very easily do this. And I think that's natural. I think that's a normal thing. I know sometimes when my wife is frustrated with teaching, she starts listing all the things she could be doing. So I don't think it's necessarily... (laughs) Just being a designer or just being a creative. But I do think the burnout is real. I had a conversation with someone not too long ago. He had come to town to speak in an event and he was 
talking about the the toll, kind of the mental health toll that being a designer takes and how hard it is when you pour your heart into everything you do and then it doesn't turn out the way you want or it doesn't just things don't come together. And that happens to all of us. Like that's part of our yeah. career. And I think very early on, it was easier for me to get burned out. It's very easy for me to put in a whole bunch of time into some logo for a client and then have the client not like it and to take that personally. Yeah. And I think one of the, one of the things that has helped me even that out is the, the side projects that I do and trying to uh, find ways to express myself creatively in a way where it's more for me than it is for a client. The other thing about burnout, going back yeah. to that, it's even with the side projects that even happens where I've started these side projects to you know, have fun or to do something I've always wanted to do or to learn a new skill. And then the world really pushes you to treat that as a career, as another career. I did a fun project where I designed a shirt a week for a year and it was really just a fun project, but everyone started to ask me, are you going to start doing this, you know, as a job? Are you going to start like pushing me to do more and more where it was really just an opportunity for me to have fun and do something different. And actually near the end of that project, I kept doing it, but I stopped sharing it because I didn't really <laughs> have that conversation. It was yeah. more for me. I shared it on my website, but I didn't share it on social media. And I think I was starting to feel a little burnout from the project because people were interested in it. And that's great. But it was really for me more than it was for them. Right? Yeah. There have been plenty of times I've felt like I want to like just quit and start another career. <laughs> Yep. You know, or just give up on my art. And I, th I think a lot of it has to do with, like you were saying, is you get really invested in what you're creating and things like if something doesn't go how you think it's going to go or with clients, if they don't like what you've created, it's real easy to feel that rejection, like really close to your heart and it can hurt, stings. Absolutely. And one of the things... So the first 14 years or so of my career, I worked with a lot of financial services institutions, insurance mostly. And you would have boring jobs. You'd have these kind of boring projects that would come through. And then you'd get one really awesome job that would come through. Yeah. And the in-house designer, when they see that one awesome job, you're like, this is it. This is my chance to prove how great of a designer I am. And you pour everything into it. And usually the same people who approve all the boring stuff are also approving the more interesting stuff. And like, I had a lot of success, but it was also, it was hard. It was hard to navigate a world where you had clients who hated a certain color and wouldn't approve something if that color was in it or just little things. As a young designer, I didn't understand. As a young designer, I, I struggled with. And I've gotten better at compartmentalizing that as I've gotten older. But even now, to this day, there are days where I think, maybe I should just do something else. This is <laughs> Maybe this isn't what I was meant to do. And I've been a designer for 25 years or more. And so, you know, it's interesting. It's real, I, I think. Yeah. But I also think, 
lots of designers feel that way. I had a client who did not like the color brown. And they were having an event, a special event that was um, being held on the coast, is being held at a resort in South Carolina, a very prestigious resort. And they wanted something that felt like this resort. And so we did this beautiful design and it was one of the favorite things I've ever created, but it was centered around like these wood tones and, and brown papers and different, like different textures. It was great. And the client lo and behold, hated all things Brown. And she just, she just said, it's nice if you could do it in a different color. Sure. But I don't really like it. And we ended up having to go in a different direction and the end result was fine. The end result was good actually. Yeah. But it was, it's that kind of thing that when I was younger, I really took personally and you have a few of those in a few weeks and I think anybody's ready to quit. Personally, I do web design during the day and then I like to illustrate, um, trying to illustrate a couple of children's books as my creative thing. So I've got two different, completely different fields. I end up doing a lot of coding throughout the day. I'm, <laughs> I feel like I'm using one side of my brain for the coding for like eight hours, and then I'm able to switch that off and switch over to illustration. Do you feel like you have that type of off switch for your primary job because it's in the same field as the, the projects you're doing, or do you feel like everything just bleeds together? So in my primary job, everything is really about the macro, right? It's about the big mm-hmm. picture. When you're working with type, it's usually about the micro, right? It's about being really focused on details. And so in that way, I I think I do have a switch between the two. I don't like doing like freelance graphic design in my free time. I just want to create for myself. I will say the part of me that is going to grad school, it's quantitative stuff that I'm doing in grad school. It's, It's very different than what most people think I'm doing in grad school. And so I'm doing statistical analysis of Mm -hmm. things, which is funny because I mentioned earlier, I don't like math or I didn't (laughs) think I liked math. Right. I think it's maybe actually a better thing to say is that I didn't believe I could do math. Grew on you. It grew on me. And just took 25 years. Just took 25 years and computers (laughs) to help me run statistical packages and stuff. But, but even though I'm doing the quantitative side of things, I'm studying things related to how people respond to logos, how people respond to graphics on pages. I'm still looking at visual issues. Mm-hmm. I'm just doing it in a different way or using a different side of my brain to do it. Um, do you think you would be a designer 50 years ago? I don't think so. Okay. I, I think for me, the kind of intersection of, I don't know. I was always a kid who drew growing up. Like I, I, I drew things all the time. And yeah. in retrospect, there were more schematics than I would draw plans for things. I think probably in all likelihood, I probably would have ended up as an architect. It was, the career was just different then. Yeah. I, I'm not really a hand skills kind of person. I don't love the learning how to cut with an exacto blade and being super precise with construction and Ruba length and all that stuff that they used to teach you in art school. Yeah. And so I don't know that I would have had the patience for that. I think I would have, I think I would have taken another direction, but with the computer, I can 
use my hand skills, my rough hand skills to make rough things and then make them look better with a computer. My father was one of my influences as far as creativity. He was, he was a, or he is a pastor, but he had gone to school in communications. And so dad would make the newsletters and the stuff for his, you know, for the churches and he had all sorts of press type and like graphic lines that you laid down and the, the kind of old school repro graphic production kind of world. And I learned from him a lot of that, a lot of that stuff when I was younger was exposed to it, but I was also, I didn't really take any art classes in high school. I, I took the journalism classes, but mm -hmm. I, was always in these honors classes and they really discouraged me from taking art classes because you lowered your GPA. And so oh. it was interesting. I have, yeah, it really is. I have, you know, three children who are all really talented artists. That's my wife's fault. She was a ceramic major. <laughs> She's super talented too. And so I've got, I'm surrounded by my daughter who is painting nonstop and my middle child who wants to, you know, be a photographer and Ryan wants to build things and they all want to do things that are creative. And yeah. I'm, I'm adamant that they take the time to take the classes because I didn't. And I think that's another reason why, you know, when you said back, go back in time and would you be a designer? I think the key for me is that I was, the computer was really the, I was a creative person, but the computer was the the gateway into design for me. Are there any challenges that like keep you from getting to your art? There are lots of things that keep me from my creative projects, but most of the, most of them are family related. So I tend to carve time out in the evenings or in the early mornings to do yeah. stuff. And at various times, depending on the family schedule and, and different things, it's just not going to happen. I think I've become better about realizing that sometimes I just need to Ryan, who's my youngest, like he's star mm -hmm. Wars obsessed. And sometimes he just wants to sit and watch rebels. And <laughs> it's just like, dad, want to watch star Wars rebels. And we have watched like the whole series of star Wars rebels, like 40 times this summer. It's been a little <laughs> insane. And, but I've, there are times where, I know I really need to fix this on a typeface. I really need to do something, but it also hits me. What I really need to do is sit down and watch Star Wars Rebels with Ryan. Yeah. And so part of that is, or, or I need to go take my daughter to the lacrosse practice and make sure she's, make sure she's enjoying that process too. And cause she's super serious about it. And so just kind of going through that process with her or with, or just realizing my wife had a really stressful day trying to figure out how she's going to teach virtual kindergarten and I just need to carve some time out and, and spend some time with her. Are you're in the middle of your getting your master's? Is that right? Yes. Like you're on your second year. I only have one class and my thesis left to go. Oh wow, you're almost done. That means you've got a big change coming up in the pretty immediate future. Where do you think this is going to take you, or where do you, where would you like for the five different things you're doing to take you in the next five or ten years? That's interesting. Being a staff member at a university affords me a little more flexibility in being mm -hmm. able to teach while I'm also pursuing 
degrees and I likely will roll right into a PhD program and continue my research. That's one area that that's one thing that I, I don't know that I expected that I really enjoy the research process. I really am, enjoy trying to come up with a question and figure out how do I use the tools I have to answer that question. And that's been really interesting, a different way to focus on my love of design. And so I think probably while I finish my master's degree, hopefully by the end of this year, I will probably roll straight into a PhD program where I continue to do much more, do more of the same. I think down the road, I think I've always believed that being a creative director for 40 years, I I was a creative director in my early thirties. So being a creative director for the rest of my career was never really going to happen. Yeah. And I've been an adjunct off and on for something like 14 years. So adjunct professor. So I'm teaching, you know, part-time at the university Mm -hmm. and I really enjoy the process of teaching and working with kids. And so I guess down the road, when I eventually decide that, that it's time for me to no longer be a, be a creative director, I think probably, you know, working in higher ed, probably as a, as a professor is probably where I'm headed. So that kind of, I think that concludes some of the boring questions because this next <laughs> set of questions, I like to call them rapid fire questions. Uh, okay. So what's your favorite time wasting activity? Favorite time wasting activity. I, this is really bad. I love, I love emptying my pens and cleaning them and filling them back up. That's a, a fountain pen thing because you so have you to mean actually taking the pen apart. You take the pen apart, you okay. clean all, clean all the ink out, clean the pen, then reassemble it, let it dry and then fill them back up. That's a good time waster right there. Okay. So yeah. So when you first said that, I was like, okay, you know, you dump the coffee mug of pens out on the table and just get all the dust and the ink out of the coffee mug. But so how long does it take to clean one pen? It doesn't take very long. I've gotten to a point where I'll do a whole set of them at a time where I'll just decide, okay, I'm going to change up the inks and the nibs and the pens I have inked up for this month. And so I'll start to clean them up and empty them out and put some in a case. I've got more than I need. So I'll put some in a, I'll put some in a case that, you know, leave them with no ink in them for a while and then get one out that I haven't used in a while. And it's, it, it can waste a good hour or two if I really want to spend time doing it usually about 30 minutes, but it's a good time wasting. Okay. Kind of a reset. (laughs) Do you have a guilty pleasure? Oh, do I have a guilty pleasure? Okay. Look, I have two, I have, I have a preteen and a teen daughter and they Mm -hmm. listen to the most annoying pop music. That's what I'm supposed to say, (laughs) but I completely (laughs) and totally don't mind it at all. We listen to more, more modern pop music than I could ever imagine. And everyone always goes, Oh, how do you stand it? Oh, it's awful. But no guilty pleasure. I I don't mind it at all. My wife, I give her total credit for this, but our youngest in middle school, he loves music from the nineties. So I jokingly say he's a 40-year-old man in a 12-year-old body (laughs) because he likes to listen to what I like to listen to because that's usually where my mind is when I'm listening to music. So my oldest, she'll listen to the the Taylor Swift and the new poppy stuff, 
But yeah. she also listens to you know, the Clash and the Ramones and the Beatles and all this stuff. And I love it, but you never know what's going to come up next. And so I'll just say, you, you play whatever you want to play. I'll listen to it. And it's it's stuff I like. And then it's stuff that I pretend I don't like. Does she create playlists? On she, her does. Phone? she does. She yeah. does. Yeah, yeah we have daughter, a- I was going to say my daughter does as well. And she's got one that's like, oldies but goodies or something like that and you look through it and it's like songs from the late 90s and the early aughts and it's these aren't (laughs) old what are you talking about (laughs) yep yep we're in the same boat although nora will go back to she loves the beatles and so she'll go back to the beatles and the other day we were in the car and her post lacrosse playlist basically included like joan jett and the ramones and she, yeah. I can go with that. But there's also a fair amount of Taylor Swift and others that I think is it's trendy for me to say that isn't cool, but it's actually really good. So yeah. So who would who would you say your favorite artist or creator is? Like art artist? Doesn't like, matter. Um, like I, I try to leave it open ended so that it's uh, or more general so that you can hone in on whatever field they're in. Goodness, that's a really good question. I think that I'm a huge fan of Matthew Carter's work. He's a type designer. He's he's designed stuff you've used, right? He's he designed Georgia. He designed he's been the designing the font yeah. Georgia. Yes, yeah. um, not the state, not the state. No, <laughs> but he's been designing type like he designed type as punch cuts like way back. He's just he's been designing type forever. And it's just this level of just craftsmanship that is just beautiful. It's just something you look at and you just really appreciate. So what's a punch cut? I'm like cutting like back in metal, basically, like carving the inverse letters out of metal. Okay. So he actually started, he's one of the, I don't actually know if there are any other type designers alive who design type in metal in phototype basically like every model ever i'm way into the woods weeds with this but so you're talking about someone that would design type on these little metal blocks that you would assemble your sentence into a line and then the next so if you're doing a column and a paper is that what you're referring to basically they would it's the mold that makes those letters ah okay okay so it's it's not that important, but it is interesting to see just how he's continued to evolve his career as technology changes and as as skill sets change. He's been this force for decades because he he understands so incredibly well what it means to to design a letter form. What's one thing you think you're great at, but you're actually not? Ooh. That's a really good one. <laughs> I, I think I'm a decent illustrator when I need to draw something for the projects I'm working on. And then I look at other people and I go, oh, I'm not a good illustrator at all. <laughs> uh, you just like totally summed up like how I feel like 80% of the time when I'm illustrating. I'm not afraid to draw my own draw my own thing and yeah. for something I'm working on and I'll finish it and I'll be really happy with it. And then I'll look at other people's stuff and I'll go, oh, well, yeah, uh, yeah I'm not that good at it. Uh, yeah. So illustration is probably, drawing is probably the, the, the best okay. way to say it. Okay. What book has most positively impacted your life and art? And when did you first read it? 
Okay, I read The Elements of Typographical Style by Robert Bringhurst. It is a classic. I don't know if you've ever read it. It is a... I have it somewhere. I think everyone should have it. Yeah. And it's just wonderful. And it's a book about how to use type correctly. And by correctly, we mean like correctly in the formal sense, right? Like formal typesetting, correct formal typesetting. Mm-hmm. And I think I got it. I, I didn't buy that book until after I had graduated from college. <laughs> and I was trying to learn how to be a better typesetter, like basically trying to learn how to use type better. And I'm pretty sure this is one of those books that I miss the old days where you could go to the Barnes and Noble and they would have a book, you know, a shelf full of design related books. And I yeah. think this is one I got there, but it's, yeah, it's classic. It's great. Okay. If you, now, if you had to recommend a book to someone to learn more about the type of art and design that you create, is this the book you'd recommend or do you have another book? No, this is the book I'd recommend. Okay. It would be, this is the book I'd recommend to someone who's really serious about learning how to use type. You know, I recommend it to students all the time. If it was a lay person, just someone who's just eh, understand, you know, what, what is it that you do? Like what, how much detail goes into type? There may be a few other choices that I would go with, but yeah, if you're, if it's another designer or someone who's really, really interested in learning what goes into it, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Was there a defining event or sequence of events that kind of helped shape how you approach design? You know, I think it's probably a sequence of events. I was lucky enough in my, in my first job to get paired with a printer that really taught me the ins and outs of production. It was just a, it was a family print shop that this company had used for years and the owner took me under his wing and taught me everything that he could about print production and getting to understand how all that came together and how to really put a job together in a good way really helped my career along a path where I became the person you talk to when you need to figure out how to get something done. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that really started the foundation of kind of, it's funny because it's not really a creative inspirational moment, but just out of, out of the practicality of really learning the details of how to do production really was beneficial for me as my career went on. You said this was not somebody you worked for, uh, a print shop you worked for. This was, this was a vendor. A vendor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Max Ford at Midlands Printing in Camden, South Carolina. Oh, I used them. Yep, I've used them before. And he was someone that he just, I asked questions and he loved to answer them. And uh, I remember the first time I tried to tell him what paper I wanted to use and he just laughed. He goes, okay, Bob, you don't really (laughs) understand what paper that is. (laughs) I said, okay, explain. And so he did. And he's like, you would not be happy with that. And so then we, then he started, I think he understood from that point forward when I took his advice that he was, that I would listen to him. And so he wouldn't hesitate to give me feedback and yeah, it was, they were great to work with. I learned a lot working from them, working with them. So this is, this is one of my most fun questions um, to ask. And you're like the second person I've asked. 
If you could go back in time and give yourself advice, at what point in your life would you go back to and what advice would you give? I think going way back to our conversation about math and architecture and realizing that it's not that I hated math. It was that I was scared of it because I had teachers who weren't who weren't the best at teaching me what to do. I think I'd probably go back and tell myself, don't be scared of the math side of things. I don't know that it would change my career path. Very well yeah. would end up in the same spot. Architecture school may not have been for me, but I think I think it would be beneficial to go back and to, to just learn or just to not just to know not to fear it. I know that's that's silly, but so I would go back to like sophomore high school me and tell me not to freak out about algebra too. I'm wondering if I would also give myself like a fashion advice. <laughs> like you don't want to wear that turtleneck. There's way too much fashion advice that I would have to give myself. Yeah. 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 Um, what's the biggest failure you think you've had and how did it help you? I think failure is one of those interesting things where sometimes failures can seem small, but they're big. And sometimes they can seem big, but they're really small. I think in the grand scheme of things, Early in my career, I decided that I was going to go try to be an advertising art director. That was the plan for me is that I was going to go that route in things. And I'll be honest, I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> um, I, I was fine. I, I was fine. But it just didn't work. And I think up until that point, I thought I'll work at this in-house job for a while and then I'm going to go be an ad, you know, then I'm going to go work in ad agencies and do awesome stuff and work my way up. And, and it was not a successful experience for me. Mm -hmm. And after that, I really started focusing my focusing back on being an in-house in-house art director back in insurance, which is where I had started. And that eventually led me to blue cross, which blue cross is where I became a creative director for the first time. And so I think in the grand scheme of things, failing at being an insurance art, failing at being an advertising agency art director was probably the thing that really set up what became my career. Do you think if you would have not failed at that, actually, your life would be a lot different if you had not failed, but how do you think your life would be different if that had succeeded I think one of the things I, I struggle with this with my students because they all think, oh, I want to be, I want to go work at ad agencies or design firms. And I want to, and look, you and I both know working at a design firm can be a massive grind. It can be a lot of late hours. It can be a lot of yeah. time. And one benefit of working in house for a lot of places, not all places, but a lot of places is a better work-life balance. And I think coming out of that, I think because of that, you know, one experience where I decided, Hey, this doesn't work for me. This isn't what I'm good at. I think I've been a little more committed to a better work-life balance for myself and for the family. And I know that sounds ridiculous considering how many random things I do, but I think I can pay attention better to my work-life balance when I'm not working at an agency on deadline all the time. Yeah. Okay. So this one's not so not quite so deep. You talked about your favorite creator. Do you have any creators that you, you look you look to for inspiration? 
Not really. I have a lot of creators I admire. I think one of one of our again one of our mutual friends, Marius Valdez, who's a um, professor and and designer in town. To me, Marius has been he's been a good friend for about as long as I've known you. And mm-hmm. I look at his stuff's very different. It's very you just have to tell your listeners to go look it up. But Marius's stuff is very different. It's very unique. He's carved a niche for himself based on what he loves to do. And I find that that kind of inspiring because really that's what I'm trying to do with my side project is to find this niche for myself of things I really like that I want to do and then hopefully build a little side business out of it. Yeah. Okay. That's all my questions, Bob. Okay. I've just blown through a whole bunch of them. So (laughs) that's okay. Yeah, no, it was great. I appreciate you coming on the show. One thing I'm I'm thinking of doing with my guests is maybe doing a follow-up show down the road, way yeah, down the road. Yeah, yeah. So I would like to have you on again sometime in the well, far future. You were on social media. Your website has the same name. It's Sketchbook B. Is that right? That is correct. So, so ev- everything on social media is Sketchbook B, and my website is sketchbookb.com. And that's the letter B, not B-E-E, like C- a correct. B. Correct. Yeah. All right. I think we're done. Okay. And you've been listening to Driven Creatively Mad. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing. You can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and anywhere else you can find your favorite shows. If you're already subscribed, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting network. Your review will help other creatives find out about the show. Driven Creatively Mad is also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, if you want to help support the future of Driven Creatively Mad and receive exclusive benefits, consider becoming a patron. For just five bucks a month, you'll get access to early releases of the episodes, your name mentioned in a future episode's patron shout-out segment, and you'll have the option to submit questions to be asked on the show of future guests. You can become a patron by visiting the website at drivencreativelymad.com. The theme song is used with permission from Ryan Stokes. Again, I'm your host, Chris Black, and until next time, keep creating.